Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do love you and we thank you for your presence. Thank you that you are here with us by your spirit. And I pray that you guide us this morning, open our minds to receive what you have for us. May your word be alive. May it speak to us and bless Brother John as he brings this message. May you just allow him to speak freely what you've laid upon his heart and guide his lips. And may we be able to go from here refreshed, spiritually fed, and able to serve you faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Welcome to everyone. Good to be here again this morning. I enjoyed the Sunday School. James is a very practical book. It doesn't get much plainer than what James says. And sometimes I wish the rest of the Bible would be that plain what it's saying as well, but uh, it's not always. As you might have guessed if you read the sermon title, I'd like to talk this morning about spiritual gifts. Um, sorry, children, it's not Christmas here yet. You can't desire the best gifts, but um, this is what God has given us. If the term spiritual gifts is new to you, or you're not quite sure how that applies to you, and it does apply to you, it applies to each of us, hopefully um, you'll be able to better understand it a little better after this morning here. Num there's a number of places in the Bible where spiritual gifts are spoken of, and the lists are not all identical. And this does not show an inconsistency in God's word. It simply shows man's inability to completely understand or verbalize the marvelous and mysterious ways in which God has created us. So you'll see some difference in the list, um, and that's okay. Uh, a couple of weeks ago on the job, the shop sent along two, we call them drawer dividers. They go in the, the top drawers of cabinets. They showed up late, didn't get put in back at the shop. And so, like I said, they go in the top drawers, they organize the knives, the forks, whatever. And we're supposed to put them in their appropriate places. And one to the right, one to the left of the stove. And the drawers, and therefore the dividers, were identical in size. I was busy with something, and my coworker asked, um, hey, John, which insert goes in which drawer? And I asked, are they both the same? And he answered, no, they're both different. I said, are you sure not just the one is different? And he said, no, they're both different. <laughs> so I know I'm a little weird, but bear with me here, trying to follow my thought. Um, we have a number, I don't know how many different options for these dividers. Um, there is no standard one. They're all different, and they all perform different functions. Uh, some have small compartments, some have big ones, some have places you know, to set knives into, all combinations, and therefore there isn't one that makes the rest different. Each one, they actually both are different. Each one is different. Each has its intended function, and so they're all unique and different from each other, filling different roles while in an identical environment. They all fit in same size drawer. I mean, we cut them, obviously. But yeah, anyway, so keep that illustration in mind as we go through the different gifts today. Um, you are not the different one. We are all different. So turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 12. I will be looking at the list here. 
Um, like I said, there's numerous passages that cover this, but we're going to focus primarily on this one today. 1 Corinthians 12, the first 11 verses, read with me here. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So a bit of context here first. Paul was speaking to the church at Corinth here, uh, many of which were Gentiles. They were not unfamiliar with the spiritual world. Uh, God is not the only one who can demonstrate his power in visible ways. The deeper one gets into satanic worship, the more visible Satan's power becomes. And these people were very, very familiar with that through their idol worship and their temples and such. And so these conflicting powers were both showing themselves in the new church. And Paul starts out by saying, uh, giving a very simple but clear gauge as to judge you know, which, is, which is which. He says that only those spirits which acknowledge Jesus as Lord are the right spirits. All others are false. And so we today may not see that difference as much in visible ways as they did back then, but the lesson still remains the same. Jesus is to be lifted up, and anything that distracts from that is not from the right source and will not draw us in the right direction. So as we go through and look at some of this stuff, remember that the purpose of all of these is to draw honor and glory to Jesus. And so in verse 4, four through 7, Paul's explained that each one of us is given what we refer to as a spiritual gift. And there's sometimes some confusion between what's a spiritual gift and what is simply a personality. And I do want to talk someone what I'm going to call personality gifts a little later. And I don't want to oversimplify it, but to try and make it simple enough, a personality is given to each of us by God as one of his creation. Uh, we're born with blonde hair, black hair, uh, blue eyes, brown eyes. We might be tall, might be short. The different combination of our physical traits make us unique and recognizable as an individual. Um, I'll never be mis uh, mistaken for Lance here. Um, if you see us side by side, you'll know that this is John and this is Lance. Lucky for Lance, he'll never be mistaken for me. Um, our personalities are also as unique as our appearance. God designed it that way as well, and someone who knows both of us will also not mistake us for each other as far as personality-wise. A spiritual gift happens when we give the Holy Spirit control of our lives. He takes that personality that God has given us as an individual and shapes that into something greater than just a personality. He shapes it into something that God can then use directly to build his kingdom. And as such, a person's personality and spiritual gifts often look a lot alike. Um, all personalities come with a strength as well as a matching weakness. We'll talk more on that later as well. 
But as one matures as a Christian, God helps build on our strengths while overcoming our weaknesses. Personalities have weaknesses, but spiritual gifts do not. I want to come back to the actual gifts here mentioned, but first let's keep reading. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, reading, uh, starting again in verse, in verse 12, For as the body is one, has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I am not the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the hand, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think are less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our impresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have, been made, have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. There should be no schism or conflict or division in the body, but that all members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So here Paul compares um, a group of believers, in most cases a church, to our physical body. Now we know our body is very complex, uh, literally millions of cells working together so we can do what we do. Uh, Paul here mentions some of the obvious parts, you know, feet, hands, eyes, ears, nose. Um, he also mentions the weaker and less honorable members, those parts that we don't see. Um, I just think, you know, of our stomach. Um, most of us take our stomach for granted until one morning we wake up and our stomach's not happy. And at that point, you know, we kind of give more attention to something that normally does its job without a lot of input. Well, yeah, we do input, but yeah, you get my point. Um, each is very vital and necessary. Um, and even though the roles are different, all are very necessary for a normal person to function. All the spiritual gifts are also necessary. And while some may appear more prominent than others, Paul's comparison to the human body is meant to show that all are equally important. So when you, if you had to make a choice, would I prefer to have one less hand or one less foot? Um, which would you decide, or one less eye? Um, yeah, maybe we could do better with some than others, but at the same time, most of us are not really ready to give up any of the parts of our body that we, we pretty, put pretty much value on all of them. And he's saying the spiritual gifts are no different here. Um, they are equally valuable. And verse 26, the entire body works together, suffers together, and rejoices together. So reading the rest of the chapter, uh, verse 22, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. If God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, prophets, teachers, after that miracles, gifts of healing, helps, administration, varieties of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So this finishes out Paul's list of spiritual gifts. And we could kind of loosely group the gifts into three categories. Uh, speaking, 
serving and supernatural. Under the speaking gifts, we include words of wisdom and knowledge, teaching, prophecy, exhortation. Serving includes giving, mercy, uh, leadership, and discernment. Supernatural includes miracles, healings, and speaking, interpreting, and tongues. And at the risk of controversy this morning, I'm going to largely pass over the supernatural gifts. Um, there are those who strongly believe that they, were, that they continue today. Uh, those same gifts that are mentioned here are still very present today. There are others who believe just as strongly that they were only given for a specific time in the New Testament church. What we do know is that God used those gifts at that time to prove himself as the early church was being born in much the same way that he used miracles in the Old Testament to prove himself both to the Israelites and to their heathen neighbors that God is God and he is more powerful. He revealed himself through those miracles. And Jesus also used many miracles to prove, during his time on earth here, to prove that he was, in fact, God. So I believe God still does use miracles today. The darker the spiritual climate around us, the brighter his light can shine, and he has and will continue to reveal himself as he chooses, and miracles still happen. I don't want to give that impression. On the flip side, we have been given a lifetime of teaching, uh, knowledge of God's word, and would having the gift of miracles really help our faith? Would, you know, if we could just perform miracles at will, would that really help us? I had to think of the uh, account where Jesus stood before Herod in Luke 23. Herod was eager to see Jesus perform a miracle. And I had to think, almost like a little boy going to circus, you know, what can the elephants do tricks here, you know? And he kind of had that same idea, I think, of Jesus. What can Jesus do for me that can, you know, put me in awe? And Jesus met that request with complete silence. Now, Herod knew who Jesus was, and much like us, Herod did not need a miracle to prove to him who Jesus was. A miracle might have amused him, but it wouldn't have changed his heart. So I don't want to pass over that part lightly, um, but that is not my primary focus today in looking at the supernatural gifts here. When we look at the gifts of speaking, of wisdom, knowledge, and even prophecy, I think sometimes we might overcomplicate them. We think, well, that, you know, prophecy or wisdom or whatever, um, that's something that, yeah, it doesn't apply to me. Um, we do know that knowledge comes with effort. We don't wake up one day smart. But I do believe that God gives a strong mind to be used for his glory. And the ability to soak up knowledge, to soak up facts, to retain those, and then to have them ready is a gift that he has given more to some people than others. So the gift of knowledge, I think, is something that, yes, needs to be worked at, but God has given some people um, that ability. The gift of wisdom, um, talked some of that this morning in devotional here, the ability to apply God, godly principles to daily life situations. Um, what would Jesus do was a very popular phrase here a few years ago, and probably a little over-commercialized, but a, a very good question to ask in a situation like that uh, what would Jesus do? Wisdom is addressing situations in life with that goal, to do as Jesus would do foremost in our minds. Is that a gift that he has given more to some than others? Yeah, I think it is. And while we should not use that as an excuse for the rest of us, I believe that he has blessed some with uh, an extra level of wisdom. And we do well to appreciate that when we see it. Uh, what is prophecy? Is it just the ability to predict the future? When we think of Old Testament prophets, we often come, you know, that comes to mind. 
Um, we have the idea sometimes, I think, that all they did was tell about future events. And they did. They spoke accurately of uh, Israel's future uh, destruction, coming of the Messiah, and think of Daniel and those, the meaning of dreams, Joseph, and other events came about exactly as they were predicted. So there is that aspect. But a lot of what the prophets did, they simply spoke truth as God gave it to them on a daily basis. Uh, a lot of the books of prophets are simply speaking truth. Um, God gives it to them, they pass it on. And we know that speaking truth at time will appear to be predicting the future, sometimes because of seeing, accurately seeing the results of what will happen, good or bad, uh, because of someone's actions. And I'm guessing your parents use some prophecy in your childhood. If you don't do so-and-so, this is going to happen to you. And that's much the same way that we do as even mature adults. Um, if so-and-so happens, we can see what will happen. And that's not really seeing the future, but I think it is simply applying truth to life situations. So prophecy is not some mystical ability, uh, magic, but simply passing on what God has given us as truth. Uh, teaching, we all know a person who can make even the most boring subject come to life. Many of you remember a school teacher who made a very lasting impact on your life because he or she created a desire to learn in you. They made the learning process um, attractive. Um, we can also know what boring teachers are like and you just fall asleep on them. But a good teacher is like a good cook. They can make any meal taste wonderful. I think that's very interesting. Um, I always enjoy hearing someone who can take a, a subject and really make it attractive. Uh, exhortation, we also say encouragement. The ability to come alongside another person and to lift them up, whether during times of discouragement or helping that person unlock their potential. Um, to exhort is a multiple thing there, and uh, I think a lot of it is simply, you know, maybe in a younger person or someone who's having a hard time seeing God's plan, to help them come, you know, to come alongside them and say, look, I see this happening in your life. I see God's working this way, um, and a, a different perspective is very helpful sometimes. Exhortation straddles the line between speaking and serving. So the serving gifts, uh, giving, we know some people are natural givers. They're the first ones there with a meal in time of need. They hold an open bank account ready to give whenever they can. And they're unselfish and they express God's love in a hands-on way. The gift of mercy, uh, these are the people you want next to you when bad things happen. They don't tell you that you should not have climbed that tree, because obviously if you do, you'll fall out. Um, they show compassion. They share your hurt. Uh, they give no judgment, only support. The gift of faith. Um, this is one that I had, in reading through this, kind of stopped and looked at this. Uh, what is the gift of faith? I think we know there's, there's people who have a faith that is unshakable. No matter what happens, they never waver in their faith in God. They believe God's in control of every situation and everything is part of his plan. We read the book of Job as an excellent example of the gift of faith. It didn't matter what happened to Job, he always believed that God was in control and God was leading and guiding his life. The gift of administration or leadership. You might not think of this as a serving gift, but Jesus clearly showed by example that who is the greatest among you must be the servant. And there's a lot of advice out there today on becoming a better leader. Some of it is very good, but be careful.
Too much of it approaches leadership with the goal of others following you, not of you serving them. Um, I think that's very interesting. If you go through a leadership course or a, a podcast or something, um, are they promoting how you can be a better leader by serving others or how you can convince others to follow you? Interesting test there. Might go back to the test of spirits possibly. And lastly, discernment. Uh, who do you go to for advice? Do you have someone you can trust? Someone who can see into a situation without bias or a personal agenda? You have to discernment here. So I apologize. Too many lists today. Um, wish we had a PowerPoint here, but we don't yet. Uh, but I want to share the, the last list with you here. And this is not original with me. Uh, the list is called the seven motivational gifts. And I like to call them personality gifts, as I mentioned earlier. And some may say, well, you can't fit everyone into seven different categories. And I, I agree with that completely. Most of us are a blend of two or three or more of these um, categories here. That's what makes us all unique. If we all fell into seven exact clean little boxes, that would be kind of boring as well. <clears throat> so this list largely overlaps the first list, but I believe it gives allows for a more realistic blend of our personalities along with our spiritual gifts. I also like it because it includes some of the negative factors to watch for if we allow our natural personalities to dominate the balance between who we are and who God would like us to be. Um, we can get some negatives in there as well. So listen and see if you see yourself in one of these. Um, you're allowed to be amused if you are, and you're also allowed to be amused if you recognize your friends or maybe your spouse or somebody in this list. Um, we each have a strength as well as a weakness here. So list of seven here. The first one is teaching. And the strengths of that are studies diligently, uh, focuses on truth, loves to research, passionate about correcting errors, excellent study habits, diligent, steadfast, and sincere. If that describes you, you have the gift of teaching. Weaknesses equates knowledge with wisdom. Um, if you're really smart, you must be wise too. No, it doesn't work that way, sorry. Smart doesn't always necessarily make you wiser. Concentrates more on facts than people. Can become prideful in superior knowledge. Can become critical of others who just don't understand. It's so simple and they don't get it. Um, gives more information than is wanted. You ever listen to someone, you're like, okay, I got it, I got it, you can stop now. Um, can be impractical, analytical, and unemotional. So as with all these lists here, we see <clears throat> two sides of the same coin, um, the strength and the weakness. And the idea is that um, as God has more control of your life, you will see more of these strengths grow, and hopefully the weaknesses will diminish. So second gift, serving, strengths, demonstrates love by meeting practical needs. Um, you're there to help. Uh, find satisfaction in doing hands-on tasks. They're dependable. They help clean up instead of going home. So these are the ones that stay around and they help mop the floor, pick up chairs and do whatnot instead of kind of trying to sneak out the back and going home. They're humble and available when needed. Their weaknesses then, they overcommit. Um, 
they so badly want to help, that's, that's just how they're wired, they tend to overcommit and say they'll do more than they can. They feel unappreciated. Uh, they, they're busy working and nobody's really noticing what they're doing. And they're like, come on guys, can't you at least thank me for what I'm doing here? Um, they're poor delegators. They try and do it all themselves. And you know, they're busy working, nobody's helping them, they're, they're not feeling appreciated, and yet they, they can't just reach out and say, hey, can you help me do this? Uh, they're judgmental of those they view as lazy. So those people still talking instead of mopping the floor, they're lazy. Um, they're often perfectionists. They, they, they have a, a certain standard that they hold themselves to, and they like it done that way. And they can become jealous when others may get the credit for what was done. So there again, two sides. Um, serving, that's a great thing, but some weaknesses along that come along with that. Talked about the gift of prophecy some. Uh, strengths, applying truth to a situation. Calling attention to wrong. Seeing a situation as black and white. There's very few gray areas. Uh, more teachable than others, but not easily swayed by opinions. And has a deep trust in God's word. Weaknesses seems insensitive or harsh, lacks patience or sympathy, may appear intolerant or prideful, and sometimes has a negative or gloomy outlook on life. So there again, both sides of the same personality. Number four, an organizer. The strength leads others to complete a task. So organizer and serving, again, um, are not quite the same. So leads others to complete a task, discerns strengths and talents in people, and assigns tasks accordingly. So he'll see that, you know, Lance is good at this. Lance, can you help me with this? I see you're, you're good at that. And, and um, you know, Braden, can you help me with this part? And so they'll assign tasks that they're good at that. Uh, they're good at making goals. They, have a, they see the big picture in mind. They delegate well. They handle pressure well. And they're, they're efficient, thorough, and loyal. Their weaknesses, they get frustrated with others who do not share their vision. They have a plan, they got the, the goal in mind, and nobody's really catching that goal with them. And then they tend to put projects before people. And the same way of delegating then is they tend to use people to promote their agenda. Can appear cold-hearted or unconcerned. And, the, and can tend to blame others if things don't go as planned. You know, I had my great plan here, and you guys just didn't help, and so that's your fault that it didn't work as, like it should. So there again, uh, the good and bad of being an organizer. Uh, a mercy person. The strengths, very sensitive to others' emotional and spiritual needs. Kind and gentle. Drawn to other sensitive people. Drawn to people in need and loving the unlovable. So again, a much, what we would maybe say, a, a softer person there. Uh, weaknesses can be indecisive. You know, I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. I want to do what's right. Need some help here making a decision. Um, allow others to become too dependent on them. And their warmth may be misinterpreted as affection. And this would come in possibly a long-term um, relationship between two people that was not intended that way. Uh, avoids conflicts at any cost um, because they are very caring. They do not want to hurt anybody, don't want to offend anybody, and so they tend to avoid a conflict because that can potentially end in hurt for one party or another. And they're introspective and may have a lower self-image, and they worry. 
mercy people worry. Giving, strengths. So if you're a giving person, uh, conserves and shares resources with those in need, prevents waste, generous to those in need, finds joy in giving. And uh, Chad, I'm going to pick on you. You made the comment in Sunday school class about uh, giving until it hurts. And I finished that out with what I was told of continue giving until it doesn't hurt. And I kind of always took that as well as amounts, like giving a bigger and bigger and bigger amount until it hurts, then keep giving bigger and bigger amounts until it doesn't. I don't think that's quite what that phrase is meant to, but it's, it's giving until you feel like you have given and then continuing to practice that attitude, that lifestyle of giving until, as it says here, you're able to find joy in giving like that often operates anonymously. They do not want to be seen, do not want to have the credit for what they are doing, but they would like to bless people behind the scenes. A uh, hard worker and stays out of debt. The weaknesses, they can appear stingy or cheap in their effort to conserve resources. Uh, sometimes judge others in what is considered poor stewardship. Um, and reacts negatively to being pressured to give. This is, these aren't my lists here, so I found it interesting that while they enjoy giving, they don't like the pressure to give. I don't know. And is easily offended. Again, where does that come in? I don't know. Um, anyway, number seven, exhortation. The strength sees everything as part of God's plan. Motivated to encourage growth in others. Regards trials as opportunities for growth prefers helping spiritually over physically or financially, and shares hope from a biblical perspective, gives thanks in everything, has a plan to help someone rise above their difficulty. Their weaknesses, um, they would like to then see visible results for what they have helped with, um, can tend to oversimplify a problem or solution, and would rather tell you the solution than hear about your problem, and develops formulas and one, two, three step solutions for all of life's problems. So if you have this, then if you do this, this, and this, that will take care of it. And we'd like to see results by next week if possible. Um, so those are the flip side of the person who is a very important part. Um, we need people who can exhort, who can encourage, and who sees uh, God's working in, in that. As I said earlier, most of us will see ourselves in maybe one, two, three, four of these lists. Um, hopefully we don't just see ourselves in the weaknesses of these lists. Um, as we mature, it should become less obvious which is our primary gift or personality. If we look at the life of Jesus, um, he displayed all of these. I think I can say he displayed all of these gifts equally. Um, he had times of mercy, times of giving, um, times where he threw out the, the people, the tax collectors in the temple. Um, he, I think he equally displayed all of this. And I don't think that we would really see these weaknesses in his life as well. So if we follow the life of Jesus, that should be our goal. Uh, back to 1 Corinthians, what does Paul mean then in verse 31? He says to earnestly desire the best gifts, as our title here today suggests. What is the more excellent way? I think the answer, we, if we turn the page to chapter 13, uh, let's read the first verse. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, 
I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Then he continues on down through that chapter and goes through the spiritual gifts again as he listed them in, verse, in chapter 12. He says that although you might excel at, excel at any of these things, without love, they're really meaningless. Um, they're just a clanging brass. They're just banging noises. Uh, love for God, love for others is what changes the weaknesses of our personalities into the strengths of God's spiritual gifts. As we grow toward him, he adds to our gifts. Things that would go against our natural personalities now become our strengths because of his love in us. So hopefully you've been honest enough to catch maybe a tiny glimpse of yourself in one of the lists today. Uh, hopefully it was a strength. Maybe it was also a weakness. Like I said, two sides to the same coin. Um, use your gifts. That's what God gave them to you. But also ask him to show you your weaknesses in whatever area it might be and ask him that he can then take those weaknesses and turn them into strengths for his honor and for his glory. So let's stand for prayer and remain standing for the final song. Father in heaven, thank you. You have created each of us differently. You've given each of us different personalities, different strengths, different weaknesses, different abilities. And yet, as part of the body, um, you have asked us to do what, what you have given us to honor and glorify you and how you have made us. Fill us with your love so that our gifts can be used to benefit others and to bring honor and glory to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.